0: Morning. I am Pastor Lori Beth, and it is a pleasure to be with you this morning, although I'm missing my my, um, sermon partners this morning as we shift things around and we still have lots of folks out on vacation. Uh, And so this morning I will be going solo, but we are finishing up our sermon series for uh, uh, the Theology of Play, and today we're going to talk about God's vision for the future, now, we started this series at the very beginning talking about creation, and now we get to take a glimpse, a look into the future that God intends for us, and we continue to explore all along the way what can we learn about God and what can we learn about ourselves through this practice of play. So this morning I'm going to share with you two scriptures that are pretty similar in nature. Uh, They're both from prophets. They are both uh, come from the time of the post-exile. So they paint a picture of this restoration of uh, the Israelites after they have been scattered to the winds. And they are returning to Jerusalem and to Judea. And so I invite you to listen for the picture that the prophets paint that describes such a joyful future. So the first reading from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. The word from the Lord of heavenly forces came to me. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, I care passionately about Zion, another word for Jerusalem, by the way. I burn with passion for her The Lord proclaims, I have returned to Zion. I will settle in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of heavenly forces will be the holy mountain. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, Old men and old women will again dwell in the plazas of Jerusalem. Each of them will have a staff in their hand because of their great age. The city will be full of boys and girls playing in its plazas. The Lord of Heavenly Forces proclaims, even though it may seem to be a miracle for the few remaining among this people in these days, should it seem to be a miracle for me, says the Lord of Heavenly Forces. The Lord of Heavenly Forces proclaims, I'm about to deliver my people from the land of the east and the land of the west I'll bring them back so they will dwell in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. And then from Jeremiah should also sound similar from chapter 31, verses 12 through 14. Jeremiah says they will come shouting for joy on the hills of Zion, jubilant over the Lord's gifts, grain, wine, oil, flocks, and herds. Their lives will be like a lush garden, and they will grieve no more. Then the young women will dance for joy. The young and old men will join in. I will turn their mourning into laughter and their sadness into joy. I will comfort them. I will lavish the priests with abundance and shower my people with gifts, declares the Lord. So both of these passages are describing what the kingdom of heaven might look like. So I want to ask you a question, and I invite you, if you are worshiping with other folks, then I invite you to literally share out loud your answer to this question. Or if you're um, watching solo, then share it in the comment section, but give an answer to this question. What does the kingdom of heaven look like to you? What do you imagine when I ask you to think about heaven? Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. What comes to mind? Rainbows. 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 <laughs> Maybe did you think of angels? Maybe clouds. Did somebody go like super traditional and say harps? Um, go Book of Revelation and say like pearly gates or pearly streets or. Did your description sound a little bit more like what I just read? So let's talk about what this future vision, what this kingdom of heaven, might look like this um, beautiful future that God longs for us, and I think in order for us to do that, and particularly to look at these two scripture passages, we need to understand what the reality was for when these passages were written. So I want you to to imagine the temple has been destroyed. The Babylonians have just now released um, the Israelites that want to to come back to to Jerusalem, to Judea. And so they're coming home and they find a rip-roaring, hot mess. They have been living in a mess for a couple of generations and they come home to a mess and it's terrible. It's dilapidated. It's broken down. It looks horrible, like their beloved place they've been dreaming about for so long. They finally get to go home to, and it's a mess. Weeds are growing, rubble everywhere. The people that have remained have not taken care of this beautiful sacred place. And then they hear these words of two different prophets echoing in the streets, Describing a scene filled with hope, with joy, with images of restoration, we hear in these words this message of salvation, of a a renewal, of what was normal life for the Israelites that they have longed for, for such a, a long time. And there are promises that only God can fulfill. Maybe this sounds familiar to us today, right? A longing for a normalcy of life that we remember used to be, but is not currently. So Jeremiah describes sheer joy that will turn their tears of sorrow and their past suffering into dancing and celebration. He goes on to describe the most glorious party that has no end This sounds a bit like heaven, what I would imagine heaven to be to me. They are gathered before God with singing and celebration. That's how I describe what heaven looks like. And the young women are dancing, and the old men and the young men join in. And I'm not sure what the older women are doing, but I'm sure they are celebrating in some way. But notice, there is joy, there is play, there is celebration in abundance. And then Zechariah. What what does it have to tell us? There's a little bit more going on in this Zechariah passage. And I think there's there's some important things to note. First of all, there's two things they're hoping for that are going to happen. And so verses 2 and 3 talk about God being restored to Zion. God will be restored to God's rightful place in Jerusalem, the temple, where they knew God to, to reside. And then... The second thing is that the people will be restored. First, God is restored back to God's rightful place, and then the people get to come home. The people are restored to their, to their place. But in between these two hopes, we find verses 4 and 5. And it is a description, a glimpse of God's hope of what will be. And Zechariah describes older men and women resting with their staffs in hand in the, in the plaza, in the marketplace, and that the young children are playing in the streets. What a scene to imagine. And what, what is Zechariah really describing here? What's going on? Well, it is a vision of the future. As we've described, it was a hot mess that this was definitely not the reality. That the Israelites were finding as they were coming home, and so the prophets are painting a picture of what God promises will be someday. And this playing in the streets—your version may say streets; the version I read said plaza. Um, It sounds dangerous, right? Playing in the streets—we don't want our kids in the streets, but. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we played in the neighborhood all over the neighborhood, including the streets. And I drew some of the most amazing, masterful pieces of art on our streets with some of the chalk rock that we could could find um, in in their, our yards. But actually, the word here for street is a little bit different. It means the place where business takes place, like the marketplace, the plaza is the, the hub, the center of everything It's the happening place for that town. And this is where the older folks and the children are gathered. Imagine that. Um, w- if we're being honest, when we think about um, our elderly and our children, they're not usually the folks that we're including in the hub, in the center of it all in a community, right? But in this picture, they are there. And the older persons are honored by having their staffs in hand. That might not make any sense to us, but in um, Zechariah's time, that was a sign of respect for our elders, for them to have that rod or that pole, that staff, The boys and girls, they're playing together. They're having a grand time. They're in the hub of the town, doing what they naturally do. All together, the community is all gathered, integrated, and joyful. <clears throat> And the word for play here, by the way, is it implies laughing and jesting. It's the same word that describes David and the uh, people of Israel when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle for the first time. They're dancing and they're singing and they're playing and they're celebrating. It's a reminder to us of this deep connection between pure joy and play, <clears throat> And I think that it's a reminder that play is a way of bringing heaven down to earth. So four weeks ago, if you remember, we started with Proverbs chapter 8, and it talked about how wisdom delighted at God's creation from the very beginning. And this delight continues throughout the world, throughout our lives, and y'all, it will be present Through and in the very end. This kingdom of heaven. Both of these texts have provided this this snippet, this view of this future vision that God has and longs for us. Now here's what's interesting because the reality is it took longer in Old Testament times for this vision to be fulfilled, And as time went along, we get into the New Testament times, and it began to shift because they didn't quite get that full fulfillment of this this vision that was promised. And so it began to be associated with this kind of ultimate fulfillment at end times when the Christ would come again in that final victory and so it became this, this future anticipated event when the, that new heaven and the new earth would, would come together and become one. But then this amazing event happened along the way. The, this event happened that changed everything. It changed everything. You see, the death and resurrection that Jesus Christ overcame, changed the whole game. The result was that this resurrection uh, caused this inbreaking, this inbreaking before the end of times that would bring about these glimpses, these pieces, this part of the kingdom of heaven into our world right now, right then, right there in that moment. Jesus brought glimpses of God's kingdom. Here on earth. And the result of this inbreaking of this kingdom of heaven is that we realize we don't have to wait until Jesus comes again to experience God's kingdom. In fact, we as Christians, as, as Jesus followers, as professing believers, we should be living our lives as though this hope for the future is becoming a partial reality right now. Right now. While the cross itself is not a playful idea or concept, it's not. Nothing about that is playful. It is an example of something that we talked about last week of one of the strategies for living a more playful and peace-filled life is to to live more into our yeses than into our nos. Well, this was the most powerful example of the power of the yes over the no. Because, you see, Jesus... Chose, He said yes to love and no to his own life. He said yes to the cross as a way of saying yes to grace to all of us. And his yes was way bigger than any of our no's, including his own. His yes to love is what leads to this joy of the kingdom of heaven on earth Today. So I learned something this week that I didn't know, and I love it when that happens, but uh, the early church had a very interesting perspective on um, Easter as being this, this God's big joke that God pulled over on Satan. That was a way that they would talk about Easter. And so Easter Monday for some of the early traditions kind of took on an interesting practice with it. So the Greek Orthodox, the early Greek Orthodox church, that's the church of the East. We we come out of the Roman church, which was considered the church of the West. But the church in the East, uh, when Easter Monday would come along, they would go back to church. They would gather in the sanctuary and they would spend that time telling jokes and fun. Funny stories because in their mind that was a fitting way of honoring this big joke God had pulled over on Satan through this resurrection of Christ overcoming death. The, uh, even the early Protestant Orthodox preachers who were known for being a bit more dry and stodgy, it was a tradition, a practice for a long time to start your Easter sermon with a joke and some Slavic cultures, Easter Monday is a day of celebration, of feasting, of dancing, and just celebrating the joy of, of, of the season of Easter. And so while Good Friday is the symbol of death and darkness and sorrow, Easter, Easter is the symbol of recovery of life, of hope, of renewal and laughter and rejoicing. It is a season of play. And in it comes this most important promise for us. Because of that resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christ's suffering, overcoming all death and overcoming all suffering, Death and suffering never has the last word. That's the promise here. Death and suffering never has the last word. And instead, unending joy and laughter always win. Always have the last word. Dancing and playing in the streets have the last word. Troy Cady, the author of the book Playful, says, puts it this way. Rejoice. The play of God delivers a defiant, victorious blow to that murderous, bully death. So hang with me here, because we know that play is a part of the world to come. Then it should also be part of our world now. It's a God-given gift. It is part of how we, as children, learn and grow and grow into ourselves and if it's a part of the world to come, then it should be part of our lives now. And consider again Jesus' teaching that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a child. Why is that? I wonder if to enter the kingdom of heaven we must become like a child. It's because it implies that in heaven, play will be everywhere. And we adults forget how to play as we get older. We do, for a lot of reasons. Life can can cause us to feel jaded and become skeptical. It can hurt us. It can be hard. It can cause us to feel the weight of responsibility. It can absorb our time in such a way that, that we just don't have time and energy to play. Our bodies can get tired. And we, just for a variety of reasons, as we become older, we lose that ability to play as easily, as naturally, as children do. But it's important for us to remember the art of playing. Because if we practice it now, then we're not only preparing for heaven, but y'all, we get a taste of heaven in the here and now. It's part of God's good gift to us. So a few weeks ago, in our, the community group that Greg and I are a part of I asked the question, when does eternal life begin? We had a great discussion about that. Lots of different thoughts and opinions. And is actually one of the questions that we ask people who are wanting to become ordained clergy. Uh, does does eternal life begin when we take our last breath and our our, our life cease to exist in this earthly body? Or does eternal life begin when we profess our faith and we join in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? So many theologians would argue that eternal life begins for Christians when they are baptized and profess their faith. That this promise of eternal life begins then. Because in theory, Christians can live their lives now with this freedom that comes from believing that we do share in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore we will be given this gift of eternal life. And so if there's this smooth transition then from uh, our earthly life to this spiritual, eternal life, then technically we've already begun our to live our eternal life now and that means we can begin to experience pieces glimpses moments of the kingdom of heaven here on earth it is possible and i believe what the theology of play helps to teach us is that one of the ways that we can experience get a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven in the here and now is through the practice of play, that we can experience it here in this earthly body. So my oldest brother... Uh, just had the opportunity to spend time with his family he has three grandchildren and one that was just born um, a couple of months ago and he was delayed getting to visit them because of all of the covid 19 challenges but he finally was able to go spend a week and i laughed so hard at him when he was describing his week he said as as the days progressed it got harder and harder for him to get back up off the ground when he was playing soccer and football and whatever the game of choice was. And he said, inevitably, if he needed to be standing, he was on the ground. And if he needed to be on the ground, he was standing. And it was not an easy transition between the two for him. And he's like 6'3", six, 6'2". Six, he's not as spry as the little ones, as the three and the five-year-olds were. And I laughed so hard listening to him to talk about um, um, the challenges of being granddad for a week. But friends, while our body may be getting older and we might feel it more and more, oh, but our spirit, the spirit can be as young as we allow it to be. And maybe part of what Jesus means when he talks about eternal life uh, is to continually renew our spirit in part by practicing play, by connecting to our inner childhood, to be like a child in order to inherit the kingdom. And when you think about it, whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, every time we're asking for thy kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not this future, we're asking for it to come now. That we're praying for the beginning of this eternal life now so we can experience it. And maybe it's through play and finding ways to channel that inner childhood that we can experience. So if this concept of heaven and eternal life seemed too hard to wrap your head around, just maybe what Jesus is inviting us to do is simply experience it, to just experience a piece of it. And we can experience a a piece of that kingdom of heaven by discovering our inner child by renewing our spirit through the experiences of deep joy. And deep joy can oftentimes come to us when we find the freedom to play whatever that might look like for us. So dancing as if no one is watching. Singing in the shower the way you do when you think nobody can hear. Reading a wonderful book hiking in these beautiful mountains or kayaking down the new river, playing with your children or grandchildren, taking a nap, painting, doing puzzles, gardening, playing cards, cooking or eating a glorious meal, laughing and simply telling stories with family and friends, whatever it is, don't lose it. Make the time to play. And remember that when you do, it might be the closest to heaven that you can get in this life. And the picture that God paints for us, that preferred future, is a future filled with joy and laughter and yes, playing. So I invite you to hear this closing prayer. And here it is an invitation to... Consider the quality of your life right now and to invite playfulness in no matter how old or young you are. Let's pray. Be born in me, O God, ever new with each and every sunrise. The psalmist says renew a steadfast spirit within me. When the way seems closed, help me to believe that when the time is right, a good way will open. Open my eyes to see the wonder of resurrection at work every day, in every season. And thank you for the freedom of childlike play, to go exploring with gusto, to laugh and enjoy goodness all around and within. Show me new ways to play and new ways to help others practice childhood. And help me never to take myself too seriously. When times are dark and my sight is as weak as a newborn's, open my ears to hear your joy in the voices of those around me. And when I am helpless like an infant, hold me close and carry me. And turn our mourning into laughter and our sadness into joy. Thy kingdom come, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Hear us, pray. And may it be so today, now, so be it. Amen.